Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome, everyone, to Inside Sources. Great to be with you on a snowy day here in Salt Lake City. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News. Great to be with you, as always. If you've been listening and uh, following along here at KSL News Radio, we have been covering uh, live uh, President Donald Trump making uh, his first formal remarks after the impeachment acquittal yesterday, the, the day after. Uh, we're going to dip in and out of that as he goes along. He's been speaking for about an hour uh, to this point, and uh, he is there in the White House, a room packed with uh, senators and lawmakers. His legal team is there. Other staffers are in the room. And uh, he has, uh, as I said, been going through for about an hour now and uh, covering a wide range of things in terms of the, the process, uh, what was fair, what was not, uh, some of the challenges that uh, have happened along the way. And uh, let's let's go ahead and dip in for just a second here. This is uh, President Trump uh, speaking from the White House. And these two people came charging forward. Boom, boom, boom. And one of them, you know who? One of them, him, got the shooter, hit him, and then got him, killed him from long distance. It was amazing. If you didn't have those two people... You can imagine, right? You, you can imagine what would happen. So Melania and I went to the hospital that night, and he was in such bad shape, and he's been working ever since so hard. But six months ago, they had a baseball game at the National Spark, and I'm watching. And it's, it's on television. And it's just, you know, game people, you want to win it, right? And Steve's at second base. The poor guy can't even walk. Do you remember Bobby Richardson for the New York Yankees? He was known for range, Louis. Range. He had the greatest range. If a ball's hit the shortstop, Bobby Richardson's the second player, second baseman. Bobby Richardson would field the ball. If it's hit the first base, he'll throw it to the first baseman. He had unbelievable range. This was not Steve Scalise. (laughs) Steve had no range. One foot, and he has to fall down, right? Because, you know, he was trying to get better. I don't know who the hell put you on the field. (laughs) And this is a true story. So the game starts. And the first pitch, Steve's standing at second base, and the guy is really in bad shape. And I said, this is terrible. A shot, ground ball shot, is hit to second. 
And Steve, I say, I didn't have time to think too much, but I said, this is not good. That ball is going toward him. And this guy stopped that ball, caught the ball. He's now laying down. He throws the ball to first base. He gets about. I said, it's the most incredible thing. I've never seen athletic. I've never seen anything like it. Right? And he gets him out. And they then took him out of the game, which was a very wise thing. Because you could never do that again in a million years. But you weren't going to let that ball go through. I don't care if it was hit by the greatest of all time, right? That ball was not going through you because you are a warrior. Steve, he is fantastic. You are fantastic. You and Liz and Kevin, what a great, what a group. I mean, what a group. We're listening to President Donald Trump uh, speaking after the impeachment acquittal. Uh, He's currently been uh, mentioning some of the House managers, uh, was just uh, referencing Steve Scalise, of course, who uh, was uh, tragically shot uh, at as they practice for the big softball game there in Washington, D.C. at National Stadium. Uh, so he's heaping some praise on uh, Representative Steve Scalise. And uh, we'll continue here on KSL News Radio. We're listening to President Donald Trump uh, speaking after the impeachment acquittal. But did I not realize when she opens that mouth, you were killing them, Elise? You were killing them. Elise, and there's a big story in the New York Post. I love the New York Post because they treat me well. There aren't too many of you that do, but today you're treating me well. I even had a great headline. New York Times, Washington Post. I had all these great headlines. Maybe we should just end it right there. But you had the greatest story yesterday in the Post, that people from all over the country are contributing to her campaign. They were so enthralled with the way you handled yourself, what you said, the way you said it. And uh, I'll always be your friend. I think it, it was, it's really an amazing story. What a great future you have. What a great future. Thank you. First lady agrees, by the way. First lady agrees. And Michael Turner, you can represent me anytime. Where's Michael? Where is he? Well, you can represent me. How good were you? There's another, there's another Perry Mason type, I think, right? What do you think, John? But, Michael, you were fantastic, and we appreciate it. Brad Winstrup. Where's Brad? Brad. Great. Great. All right. We've been listening to uh, President Trump. He is uh, continuing to speak. He's been speaking for a little over 60 minutes now, and uh, currently he is kind of going around the room. He's going through the House managers one by one and uh, heaping some praise there and and, – gratitude for their work uh, in the impeachment trial. Uh, we'll continue to monitor it if, if he uh, gets back to uh, anything other than kind of the accolades and, and calling people out. Uh, we'll dip back into that here on KSL News Radio. Uh, really interesting, as we were prepping for the show today, not knowing how long the president was going to speak, uh, uh, Robin, our producer, actually went back in and, and pulled the uh, first response from President Bill Clinton after he was acquitted in the United States Senate in 1999. And uh, amazingly, uh, his entire uh, address was uh, a little under 90 seconds. Uh, if you add in a question from the re- a reporter, it was about 97 seconds uh, was the full length of President Clinton's remarks uh, after he was acquitted by the set. Senate. Of course, he was impeached in the House, as uh, President Trump was, and then acquitted in the Senate in 1999. 
and uh, just interesting to me that he chose to uh, be very brief in terms of his response. Uh, and the focus of, of uh, President Clinton's message uh, was moving the country forward and that it was time to move forward. And then very interesting. Uh, did we get that audio clip, Robin? Uh, so at the at the end, I think this is an interesting contrast. Uh, at the end of President Clinton's remarks, the day uh, the t- first remarks he made after being acquitted in the Senate, uh, a reporter asked him a question, and very uncharacteristically, uh, President Clinton went back to the microphone and responded. And so, again, listen, listen to this. Maybe. I believe any person who asks for forgiveness has to be prepared to give it. Uh, very fascinating. So he was asked about, you know, forgiveness and, and moving forward, moving on. And uh, and that was the response of President Clinton. Anyone who is asking for forgiveness needs to be prepared to give it. A uh, really interesting uh, take there. Uh, obviously, there's been a, a lot of conversations going around, around about uh, Utah Senator Mitt Romney, uh, his vote yesterday uh, in the impeachment trial, why he did what he did, uh, good, bad, indifferent. Uh, I think the most important thing for all of us to sort of wrap our heads around uh, is that you can have people hear the same evidence and get to different conclusions, and that's okay. Uh, and there is no reason to to vilify uh, anyone for that. There's no reason to call out anybody's uh, patriotism or their character. Uh, that's That's not how we get things done in this country. We can disagree. We can have rigorous, roiling debates in this country. And we can disagree in all kinds of ways, but our problem, our problem is how we disagree, and we're doing it badly. And this is a good indication of that. Again, and I don't, I don't care if if you think the president is completely innocent or if you think he's completely guilty. I don't care if you love Mitt Romney. I don't care if you hate Mitt Romney. There is a way to have the discussion that we can do better. Uh, and remember, we, we have. Uh, long held in this country that what we really want out of our politicians is something better. We want them to stand on principle. We want them to follow their conscience. Uh, 72% of Americans, you can't get 72% of Americans to agree on the sky is blue. But 72% of Americans say that the biggest problem in our nation's capital is that our politicians are too worried about their reelection campaigns and their political party than they are about doing the work of the American people. 72 percent. And so that's a that's an interesting thing. And so when we say, hey, you've got to have courage, you've got to have character, you've got to be willing to stand up to your party or to uh, whoever the speaker of the house is or whoever it may be. uh, Is that what we really want? Or do we only want that when they agree with us? Again, I don't care where you, you fall on the impeachment issue. Doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. Let's talk about how we do it. We can talk about anything in this country. It's how we do it that matters about anything in this country, uh, but it's how we do it that matters. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation. We're going to be joined by uh, Matt Brown from the Deseret News. He's back in Washington, D.C. He had a front row seat for the deliberations uh, with Mitt Romney, uh, what he went through in those final hours leading up to that vote. Stay with us here on KSL. Continuing coverage. We'll be right back. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Thanks for being with us uh, on a very busy day here at KSL News Radio. We're continuing to monitor and track uh, President Donald Trump uh, speaking 
from the White House this morning. And uh, a little bit of a victory lap, uh, as some of our our uh, texters have said. If you want to weigh in today, a lot of folks are weighing in and uh, a, a lot of uh, divide in terms of the uh, text coming in on the Utah Community Credit Union text line 57500 and 57500. Uh, one of our texters asked uh, about the 72% number that I uh, just referenced before the break. Uh, and again, it's 72% of Americans believe that the problem in Washington is that our politicians are too worried about re-election and their party as opposed to doing the will of the American people. Uh, the texter asked if uh, they thought that it was the other side that needed to be more agreeable. This this isn't about agreeing and disagreeing, uh, although I think our texter is getting to an important question, which is uh, we, we do say we're divided, and often we just want the person who agrees with us to be right and everyone else to say, oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, but that's not how it works in America. So it's it's really not about that. It's about how can we have a different kind of discussion and how do we get comfortable with the fact that people can listen to the same facts and the same testimony and the same uh, evidence and come up with a different conclusion. That's okay. It's okay. It uh, doesn't make the other person bad. Might They might be right. They might be wrong. Uh, I don't know that we we know all of those pieces. Uh, and the important thing is that how we move along. Obviously, there's been a, a lot of conversations going on uh, around Senator Romney, his speech on the floor of the Senate yesterday, his vote uh, against the president uh, and how that has all played out over the last uh, few hours. Uh, really pleased to be joined now live from Washington, D.C., Matt Brown. Uh, Matt Brown is part of our in-depth team uh, at the Deseret News and uh, spends a great deal of time in Washington covering not only our congressional delegation, but uh, all things Washington that uh, are going on. Matt, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome, Boyd. Glad to be here. So uh, Matt had a uh, a unique opportunity. Uh, He was uh, part of a a small number of journalists who uh, got to see a little bit of the, the inside, a little up close and personal as Senator Romney went through this process over the last 48 hours or so, uh, Matt, along with uh, McKay Coppins from The Atlantic, Mike Wallace from Fox News, and uh, and a few others in there. Uh, so, Matt, uh, I wanted to get your perspective. You wrote a great piece in the Deseret News about uh, how the senator got there. Uh, uh, just give me your initial insight. What stood out to you as you saw the senator kind of go through these deliberations and ultimately get to that uh, final decision? Well, what stood out was the uh, painstaking process and and the time he took to do this, uh, to make this decision. Not that any other senator didn't take that time, but uh, and that taking that oath for all of them was a pretty uh, weighty decision on them and... uh, and in particular, in this case, on Senator Romney and the uh, just the time and analysis it took. He often mentioned that he'd come back from a long night testimony, and sometimes it went late. Yeah. And he would debrief with his staff for hours after that. Mm. Um, and and where he would be leaning one way one night and another way after another night. Yeah. And then um, eventually came to the conclusion that he did. 
Yeah, that's. Uh, I think he did do the work, and I think a lot of the senators really did go after it uh, in a rigorous way. Uh, pages of notes and lots of staff time debriefing uh, before and after. Uh, I want to get to to one area that uh, has been reported, but I don't know if it's been uh, clear enough. I thought it was uh, obviously there was a big uh, ruckus last week uh, as he voted for additional witnesses. And a lot of people just immediately dismissed that uh, as part of his disdain for the president or, you know, some of uh, uh, his differences with the president and so on. Uh, But he really made the case that his calling for witnesses was probably a little different than a lot of people thought. Yeah, that surprised me when I asked him specifically about John Bolton. And he said the reason why he wanted John Bolton wasn't to bolster um, uh, any kind of case that uh, the president did something wrong, but it was to actually, in hope against hope, see if the senator could find a reasonable doubt and give him a reason not to convict. Mm. He was hoping Bolton Bolton could say, no, there was a broader uh, rationale for um, asking for these Ukraine investigations. And it wasn't uh, entirely focused on the 2020 election and the Bidens, but there was a broader rationale for it. That's what the senator was hoping for. But he didn't get that chance. Yeah, fascinating. I, I do think that's interesting because a lot of people just assume, oh, he just wants to get more dirt. He wants to get more reasons for people to be upset with the president. Uh, but really, he was he was hoping against hope. He was hoping he would get a chance to hear something that would cause him to have, as he said this uh, this morning in the studio, uh, that it would give him reasonable doubt, uh, which would, yeah. again, allow him to vote uh, a little bit differently. Yeah, that surprised me. I thought it was the other way around. Yeah, fascinating. Going uh, into the interview. Yeah. Uh, if you're just joining us, we have Matt Brown on the line, live from Washington, D.C., uh, in-depth writer for the Deseret News. Had the opportunity to uh, interview Senator Romney before he made his announcements, before the floor speech and the vote yesterday. Uh, Matt, anything else uh, that surprised you or any other uh, important takeaways that you think we might be missing uh, in all the analysis coming out uh, over the last 24 hours? Well, uh, the um, I'm, I'm interested in uh, the fallout. Uh, he he did say that he spoke with his family, mm-hmm. uh, his wife. He speaks to almost every night, um, but his his children too, his sons and their spouses, and uh, that they discussed what the consequences of this decision would be. Mm-hmm. Um, the senator is not specific in what he anticipates happening, um, other than he expects criticism from the president, which has happened. Right. Um, and a lot of the president's supporters, which has happened. But uh, what seems to be more uncertain is um, how it will play out in um, in his work as a senator. Right. Now, uh, Majority Leader McConnell's yesterday said, um, while he's disappointed in, uh, in Romney's vote, um, tomorrow's another day, and we have things to work on, and, and, <laughs> and we, what's important is the next We need vote. his vote, right? 
Yeah, the next boat. And they just kind of dismissed this uh, yeah. idea that he's somehow in the doghouse. Right. Yeah. It's so important. In, um, in a closely divided Senate, that's uh, such a, a big deal because you really can't afford uh, to to lose, especially some of those votes. It's why we often see uh, a, a hyper focus on Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, Senator Collins, uh, uh, some of those that are more in the middle or who are in blue or purple states. Uh, they often get to an outsized voice uh, because they need their votes at the at the end of the day. It's it's a transactional process uh, with Mitch McConnell to be sure. Uh, well, Matt, I I know you are uh, racing and chasing back there. The president just wrapped up. Uh, I think what every news organization from MSNBC to Fox News is declaring as a victory lap and a celebration for the president. Uh, but we appreciate you taking a little time with us. A great piece on uh, Deseret dot com on uh, how Mitt Romney got to the idea, the vote, uh, and the decision. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Oh, you're welcome, Boyd. Good to talk to you. All right. We'll go ahead and step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, much more to discuss. Uh, Things are moving on, and uh, I think we need to talk about what we do next. We'll do that right here on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back, everyone. This is Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you on KSL News Radio Inside Sources today. Obviously, a lot going on back in Washington, D.C., a lot of uh, weather and traffic happening here in the great state of Utah. Uh, And as always, uh, stay tuned here to KSL. They will keep you safe and uh, on path there throughout the day today. And uh, we'll continue to try to keep you on path, help you separate the rage from the reason and help you make the news make sense. And we're we're trying, as always, to, to just slow things down a little bit and make sure we've got the right perspective uh, a lot of interesting chatter uh, on the Internet and the social media spaces uh, about religion. Uh, President Trump uh, called out uh, Senator Romney and how he's used his religion in describing his decision, uh, his speech on the floor, uh, which raises an interesting question is, you know, do we allow people to to invoke their faith uh, when we agree with them? Uh, and that it it couldn't be sincere or honest uh, if we don't. Uh, that's a, a real challenge, and it, and it's interesting that that's coming uh, today. Today is the National Prayer Breakfast, and uh, much earlier this morning, President Trump was actually at the National Prayer Breakfast there in Washington D.C. with faith leaders uh, 
from across the faith categories uh, and from around the world, along with uh, all kinds of uh, members of Congress and the Senate, uh, people from uh, business and industry. Uh, it's really an extraordinary event every year. Uh, it has had some fascinating speakers and interesting moments uh, as you've had uh, different presidents there from different political parties. Today, if you looked at the front of the room at the National Prayer Breakfast, you saw the president, you saw the vice president and his wife, you saw Arthur Brooks, uh, formerly from uh, AEI, now at Harvard University, and you also had Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, there was uh, no moment similar to the uh, State of the Union address. Uh, she and the president were sort of on opposite ends of the podium. Uh, on the rostrum there. and uh, But again, a, a very interesting thing. We're going to play a clip from uh, Arthur Brooks, who was the keynote speaker this year in just a moment. There were also uh, many representatives from Utah uh, there. And, and that's an important thing uh, where everyone comes together. You try to set aside all the political pieces and you start looking at what is in the best interest of the nation. And regardless of where you fall on the faith spectrum, uh, whether you are uh, actively engaged in a religious tradition or with a specific uh, religious group or not. Uh, it's just a, a simply a, a moment to pray. Uh, very interesting. Uh, President uh, M. Russell Ballard of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints penned an op-ed today uh, that appeared uh, online on Deseret.com and in the Deseret News uh, saying that the, the National Day of Prayer, uh, this prayer breakfast, National Prayer Breakfast, should should really help catapult the country. Uh, we, we've gotten very good in this nation at having moments of prayer. We have moments of prayer uh, before events. We have moments of prayer uh, when someone passes away that is prominent, uh, when we have a national tragedy. Uh, we're, we're pretty good in America at moments of prayer. Uh, President Ballard uh, called on the nation and to use this day, this National Prayer Breakfast Day, to launch a movement of prayer. Uh, so very interesting, uh, again, that this is uh, happening on this day, the day after the acquittal of President Trump by the United States Senate. And uh, Arthur Brooks is the keynote speaker there at the uh, prayer breakfast. I want to play just a, a short clip from Arthur Brooks. Uh, what he challenged, he was standing in front of a, a group, not this morning, this was uh, a few weeks ago, uh, standing in front of a group of conservatives and and sort of admonished them in a few things. And he shared that as part of the National Prayer Breakfast discussion today. So moral courage is not standing up to the people with whom you disagree. Moral courage is standing up to the people with whom you agree on behalf of those with whom you disagree. Can you do it? Are you up for it? All right, that's Arthur Brooks, and uh, a, a great, a great sentiment uh, that it is. It's it's a challenge. Uh, it's a challenge to stand up to your party. It's a challenge to stand up uh, to your friends, to your supporters, to your donors. Uh, all of those things can be really challenging. And and to me, the the real takeaway from all of this is that uh, we have to look at things just a little bit different. Uh, we always say we we want this in a in an elected official. We want courage. We want character. Uh, do we really, or do we only want it when they agree with us? Uh, another interesting thing, uh, as as you look at the reaction that has come out, uh, you have a lot of people saying, oh, so-and-so should be recalled or thrown out of office, uh, which is all just nonsensical. Uh, but the, here's the really interesting thing. Uh, this is a we the people problem. Uh, this is not an elected official problem. Because here's the here's the reality. Over the last two decades, in every election cycle, 
94% of incumbents that we complain about and think should be thrown out of office get reelected. 94%. You can say, well, they have the power of incumbency. They have more money. They have more influence. That may be true. But you can make progress or you can make excuses, but you cannot do both, my friends. You cannot do both. And so if you don't like your elected official, you better show up. You can't just whine and complain about it on your social media feed. You can't get all your friends to validate your position and how awful so-and-so is. Uh, You have to vote. You have to engage. And you have to do things in a little bit different way. And if we're not willing to do that, then we have no space to complain. If we keep sending the same people back over and over, but then we say, oh, you know, they're horrible. We need to have a law so we can recall, uh, so we can do this or that. Uh, that that's just not that's just not how it works. Uh, the republic is at its best when we are a country of big ideas, when we have open, roiling debate about important issues, big issues, and that we disagree, and that's okay. As I've watched this whole thing play out, and again, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. I don't care if you are an adamant supporter of the president or an ardent uh, opposition to the president. The thing that matters is that people can stand on principle and what they believe in, regardless of the issue, on opposite sides. It's part of what makes the country extraordinary. Think of think of the alternative, folks. You know what the alternative is? If you disagree with the people in power, you get thrown in jail or you get taken out. That's not a good alternative. So the power of the country comes when we recognize that you can have two people who believe differently or who hear the same evidence and vote differently. And both of them can stand on principle with integrity as long as they have respect. All right, we're going to step aside. When we come back, we're going to talk about leadership in a little different light. Stay with us. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. We'll be right back here on KSL News Radio. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone. Final segment of Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Today, I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you on a snowy day here in the state of Utah. Be careful out there as you're driving. Uh, especially on those side streets. And stay tuned to KSL News Radio. Uh, our team is extraordinary to make sure you've got all the information you need to get about safely and get where you need to go today. Uh, obviously, uh, we've been covering a lot uh, today as it relates uh, to Washington, D.C., the acquittal of President Trump. Uh, he spoke this morning. Uh, he spoke twice this morning. Uh, first, he spoke at the National Prayer Breakfast, and then he spoke uh, to a group of supporters at the White House, uh, sort of a victory lap of sorts, uh, many saying a well-deserved victory lap. And uh, so we've been covering that as we go through the day. I want to take just our last segment and just exhale for a moment uh, and shift gears because I, I do think it's time for us to shift gears uh, as a nation. We, we've got to get back to the the issues that are impacting Americans and I think we need to have an interesting discussion. We're obviously going to continue on in 2020. It's going to be a discussion of where we are as a country, where we want to go, what comes next, and who best to lead. We'll have that same discussion right here in the state of Utah uh, as we look to uh, have a new governor as uh, Governor Gary Herbert finishes his term and steps aside uh We'll have somebody new. And so leadership is going to be a big issue, a big topic 
Uh, and I wanted to jump into to some of the principles of leadership that we need to be looking at, why they matter uh, in our politics, in our business, in our personal lives. And the issue that I want to get to, the principles, are, are around the, the difference of two different kinds of leaders. Uh, there are leaders who are transactional in nature. They, everything is a transaction to them. It's one at a time. Uh, and other leaders are about relationships. And relationships take time to build. Uh, they're they're hard to foster, uh, but they're priceless uh, once they're developed and strengthened. And so I want to go through that. I want to do that in an interesting context. Uh, it's uh, it's been said that uh, the the day a journey begins is not the day the journey begins. Uh, I actually heard that uh, at the NAACP conference in uh, in Detroit uh, back in the summer, and uh, that really struck me. The day the journey begins is not the day the journey begins. Uh, and that's true. Uh, it's true that while we, we mark the start of a journey uh, as being a significant thing, the truth is that most journeys are likely started or initiated months, years, even decades before. And so true leaders understand that important, powerful, monumental moments in history are, are founded on relationships rather than transactions and are initiated early on and then nurtured over time, as I said, so, for example, to, to put a man on the moon, uh, that didn't begin with the, the launching of the Apollo astronauts. It began years before that with vital relationships between scientists, engineers, pilots, program managers, and so on. Uh, similarly, the, the journey to Mars that uh, NASA is saying, this is, this is where we're going. It's already underway. And it's going to begin in an interesting way. It's going to begin by putting women on the moon. Uh, that's really the next step, 2024, the Artemis Project. Uh, if you didn't hear the other day, I interviewed the head of NASA, Jim Bridenstine, former uh, congressman from Oklahoma, uh, and he talked about Artemis, this project of putting women on the moon and and then being able to sustain it there, to to live there, to function there, to survive there is going to be key to getting that next step and actually getting to the moon. Uh, we've covered here at KSL News Radio uh, over the last week or so a uh, a call from President Russell M. Nelson of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They announced that the church was uh, working in partnership with HOPE, Health-Oriented Preventative Education, to send uh, two planes of, of supplies to China in response to the coronavirus. And so those planes started in Salt Lake City, Utah, and in Atlanta, Georgia. They were filled with respiratory masks and goggles and protective coveralls, they, and they were all starting this journey uh, to the Children's Medical Center in Shanghai. And so that was the beginning of this journey, these supplies going uh, to China to help with, uh, the, obviously, this uh, real tragedy, this real challenge we have with the coronavirus. Uh, and yet, that really wasn't the beginning of the journey at all. Uh, what happened last week and was launched uh, here from Salt Lake City, a uh, great humanitarian journey, uh, started a long time ago. And not just a long time ago, 40 years ago, uh, when Russell M. Nelson was a world-renowned heart surgeon and ended up spending some time in China. And they weren't just transactions. He wasn't just there to perform surgery. He wasn't there just to teach he built relationships, and those relationships grew and continued. And even after uh, Russell M. Nelson was uh, called to full-time church service, uh, he went back to China 
Uh, he even performed his very last surgery. Most people don't know this. His very last surgery uh, was on a uh, renowned uh, opera singer, a national treasure in China, uh, because they trusted him uh, that he could do this surgery and that he was their friend. And so it's this relationship aspect uh, that that really matters. Again, the beginning of the journey, the day the journey begins is not the beginning of the journey. Uh, it's relationships that matter and that build that. I, I, I remember hearing this idea uh, when I was in high school. Uh, I played a lot of basketball in high school. I remember sitting at a, on a basketball court uh, with Coach George Suval. And anyone who knows George Suval, he's, uh, he's amazing. He was giving us the speech of all speeches. Uh, and there were players there from all the different high schools, and uh, a lot of us had been competing against each other since we were in sixth or seventh grade. And Coach Suval, I'll never forget, he he said, the people in this camp with you today are not just basketball players and competitors. There may come a day in the decades to come that you may need them desperately they may become a doctor who will cure your cancer or save your child, a police officer that will keep you safe, a spiritual leader that might help save your soul. Uh, he said, this person you're paired with, he paired us up with with each other, uh, said, this this may be someone who takes a real life-altering journey with you. And I had been paired with somebody who had just been my nemesis throughout junior high and high school. Uh, from a rival high school, uh, this kid just drove me bananas. He was so good. Uh, and I thought he was cocky and arrogant. Uh, but I took Coach Suval at his word, and I worked to make him my friend uh, for the two weeks of that camp. And I learned that his, what I thought was cockiness, was he was really humble. He was really quiet. Um, and he was amazing. And I, I learned for him for the next three years. I learned by watching him. But it all happened because I was willing to focus on a relationship rather than a transaction. That's the key to this thing. Thanks for joining us on Inside Sources today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. And especially today, take a deep breath, see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something that makes a difference. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.